0: Well, join me now in Matthew chapter five. We're continuing our walk through the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling Living Up. And we're in that section of this Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes, where Jesus describes the blessed life. Now you and I know that much of life is unsatisfying. We try so many things to be happy, but over and over again, we find that the feeling of happiness is somewhat fleeting. We start to feel a little happy, and then it seems to evaporate. Maybe you've had this experience, so we do a lot of shopping online. And, uh, and usually it's some little thing for the house or something for the car or maybe some clothing item, no big deal, but, but I've noticed that when I know something's coming, there's a little excitement about that. It's almost like Christmas coming all through the year, I think, on a lower level. And have you ever done this? Uh, that where you start tracking the package, like when's it going to get here, and so you you track it, and okay, it tells me it's it's left the warehouse, and it's it's on the truck. It'll be here today. So in in my heart, this little giddiness starts to get there, and then the moment you you get home and it's on the porch. Oh, there it is, that thing, that dumb little thing <laughs> that I've been waiting for, and then you open it, and and there is there's that little bit of a oh this is nice, and you enjoy whatever it is until. Eh, it's just ordinary. And then you go back through that same cycle again. That one thing that you thought would make you happy when it came, it, it did for a few moments, for an hour. And you might still be glad you have the product, but it doesn't deliver lasting happiness. And so we've been told this our whole lives. Money cannot buy happiness. The best it can do, it seems, that just for a few moments, it can rent some happiness, but it just doesn't last. We're looking for the next hit. But Jesus tells us there's a radically different path for real lasting happiness, what he calls being blessed. And we saw surprisingly last time that Jesus said the blessed life, the good life, one commentator calls it, the happy life. It starts in a way we wouldn't have expected. Jesus says blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And so, well, that's, that's a weird beginning to the want to be, wanting to be happy and blessed are those who mourn. And so those two are going together. I'm I'm recognizing I'm in spiritual poverty apart from Christ because of my sin. I'm mourning now over my sin. This is not good. And Jesus is the only remedy. So we pivoted to Christ. This indeed puts us on a life that we would call blessed. And then Jesus starts describing the characteristics of the person who is blessed. Last time we saw that those who are gentle, that Jesus expects his disciples on this earth to be those who are meek or gentle. There's a humility to that. But now today, he adds to that three qualities, additional qualities of the blessed life. He's gonna tell us about passion, compassion, and purity. We're gonna see the call for passion for God, compassion toward others, and purity of heart. So let's take off here with passion for God. Look at verse six. Blessed are those, catch this, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So you want the good life, you want a life that results in lasting happiness, lasting joy, oh, it, it involves a passion for God. In other words, as God's people, we're not satisfied with anything less than God himself. We yearn for him. And this is echoed throughout the Bible. Psalm 42, one, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you Oh God, do you hear the passion? Or Psalm 63 verse one. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So Jesus here in verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you hear the strength of those words? There is that, there's that yearning for God, there's that longing after God and for righteousness, and this really falls and comes out of those other earlier Beatitudes. The person who has recognized their poverty of spirit and has turned to Jesus, the one who's mourned over their sinfulness and has turned to Jesus, of course, they want righteousness. I don't want to be forgiven and then live like I used to live and wallow in those things that brought me such shame and pain. No, now he's forgiven me of all that. Now I'm just yearning for him. I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness in my life. Now, when we think about righteousness, we we understand that as, as people who've come to Jesus, we were made righteous through faith in Jesus. Righteousness is something that ultimately we obtain from God. So it's a wonderful exchange. We bring our sinfulness to Jesus and his righteousness is credited to us. But in this sense, when Jesus brings up righteousness here, this brings up the living out of that righteousness that has been given to us. D.A. Carson said it this way, the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, hungers and thirsts for conformity to God's will. In other words, here here is the disciple who is living the blessed life, where where they're saying, I'm done with my sin. I, I hate my sin because of what it did for me And I'm so grateful for how Jesus has forgiven me of all that and given me a new life. Now I yearn for him with my whole life. I want everything about my life now in conformity with his will. I want to know Jesus more. I want to walk with him fully. So let me ask you this. What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? Maybe you'd ask this question of yourself. Is something wrong with me? that I don't have passion for God. I don't hunger and thirst for God and more of God in my life. Is something wrong with me? And you know the answer to that? Yes, yes. This is a big problem. If we have no passion for God, this is is an issue that you'd want to remedy today. This is more important than any financial concern that you might have or any health concern. Here we are in a pandemic, COVID-19. This is more critical for you to address than COVID-19, if you look at your heart and you go, I don't have a passion for God. I don't pant after God. I don't, I don't really feel that great need for God in my life. So if you find that to be true, first of all, that, there, that there's no passion in your life for God, first of all, examine your health. Let's start there. Because maybe, Maybe you have a medical condition. Like if you look at your life and I'm down about everything, I'm flatlined about everything. Nothing is giving me any joy in life. And, and it used to, maybe you go see your doctor, maybe something medical is going on there. But maybe you say, no, no I, I have happiness. I have things that delight me. Just God's not one of those. When I think about Jesus, I'm flat there. But I, when I think about sports, I'm happy. I think about gardening, I'm happy. I think about vacation, I'm happy. But Jesus, meh. Not so much, listen, now, now we're looking at a spiritual issue. And so yeah, examine your health, but examine your salvation. Something's way off when, when a person says, well, I know God, but I just don't have a heart for him at all. So let me give you this example. What if I paid off your mortgage? What if I sold my home, took the equity from the sale of my house, and I'll, I'll have to figure out what we're gonna do for housing later but I'm going to take the equity from our house and I'm going to pay off your mortgage. Would that do anything in your life to bring about some emotion? You go see your doctor if that wouldn't excite you. <laughs> Somebody paying off your mortgage. No, actually, if I were to pay off your mortgage, by the way, I can't do it, so don't get excited. But if I could and did, I would become one of your favorite people pretty fast. Even if a lot of people hated me, you'd be like, I don't know. The man paid off my mortgage. I kind of have a lot of good feelings. He has stored up a lot of goodwill in my heart. Uh, When my name came up, you'd be like, hey, that's pretty, pretty amazing. And listen, I can't do that for you. But Jesus has done so much more for us, you and I deserving of hell. And Jesus took our punishment on the cross and was raised from the dead. And so we get to know him, walk with him. He's prepared a place for us in heaven. And that doesn't move us. Something's off there. It's not normal to speak of Jesus with no emotion. I'm not meaning we always feel great physically and always are awake, but something's off. If you think I just don't have much going on for the Lord. I've had encounters like this, sharing the gospel through the years, different encounters. And, and you're trying to figure out, does the person know Jesus as you're sharing the gospel? And sometimes they'll say, Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's almost like saying it with a yawn. You say, well, how do you know you're a Christian? And how do you know you're going to heaven when you die? Well, I asked Jesus to be my savior a long time ago. Like something's off, there's, there's no delight in the Lord, there's no, there's no joy in that, it's just making an empty profession. Well, maybe you're too busy. You say, well, I, I've just become distracted with so many other things. Well, let's remedy that today. Or maybe you should examine your pursuits. You, you say, I am a believer, but I just don't have much delight in the Lord. Is it possible that you've been chasing lesser pleasures and you really have ruined your appetite for God? Your mother told you growing up, don't, don't spoil your appetite. <laughs> Don't eat all those Twinkies before dinner. You're, you're gonna miss out on the good stuff by chasing after something unhealthy for you. So check, check what you've been chasing. Isaiah 55 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you, will have, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Somebody might ask, how do you fix that? I mean, aren't emotions things that just kind of come on you? You can't really control that. What would I do if I found that my heart was not alive for God? What would I do about that? Well, one thing you do is repent. Repent, tell him, Lord, I I don't have the heart for you that I should have for you. I've been chasing everything else, that's your move. I acknowledge, Lord, I've been chasing lesser pleasures and I have not been pursuing you. And then pursue him. Do it through prayer, God, I will meet with you. Do it through the word, God, I will meet with you. These types of things we're reading here, they're in your Bible. You can feed on these things all through the week and delight your heart in the Lord. In fact, don't wait on the feelings. Many of us have found this. When it comes to that, that move of prayer, when it comes to that move of being in the Bible, uh, we don't often feel excited on the front end. We all fight our lazy flesh. When it comes time for that daily quiet time, well, I could watch another 30 minutes of Sports Center, or I could just scroll through another hour of Facebook there's that move, there's a spiritual battle. We don't always have giddiness on the front end, but, but no, I, I know that true delight is in the Lord. Let me shut off the other things. Now, let me go into the presence of God, then the feeling comes. Don't, don't wait on, on the front end, get into the presence of God, overcome your flesh, get in there, and then delight comes when you're in the presence of God. A passion for God is kindled in the presence of God. It's what we read in James four, draw near to God, And he will draw near to you. Oh, there's delight there. And the promise here is if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied. It's what you've been longing for. And throughout the Bible, we read about people who found their satisfaction in God. One example is Psalm 119. The psalmist here speaks of his passion for God and the passion for God. He picked up in the word of God. Psalm 119 verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Psalm 119, 47, I shall catch it. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. Psalm 119, 70, their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. Psalm 119, verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Psalm 119, 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And then this one, Psalm 119 verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. We're just talking about the blessed life that Jesus describes, the qualities that should be in the lives of his disciples as we read the Sermon on the Mount. And the first of these that we take on today is a passion for God, it must be in us. Secondly, compassion for others. Passion for God, but compassion Toward others. That's verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God calls for his children to be merciful. And that call we see throughout the scriptures. Do you remember the Lord's teaching on prayer? He gave us that model prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. It wasn't just that we would receive forgiveness. But even in there, we're asking God, help me to forgive other people. We're supposed to be merciful. That's Matthew six twelve, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Or Micah 6, 8 tells us the call for mercy that his children should have. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, here it is, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This indeed is an attribute of God. Exodus 34 6. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Truthfully, you and I should be the most merciful people on the planet. You and I, who have received so much mercy from God, we ran to Jesus in all of our sinfulness and we found his mercy and grace forever. And now, as we turn to a world full of sin and and dysfunction, you and I should shine in this world. Oh, those are the merciful people, those Christians who've been forgiven all those millions of sins from their own lives. They can't help but be merciful and compassionate to the people in the culture around them. It's to be a mark of us. In fact, this is so important. In Matthew 18, Jesus gave an extended parable about how he expects all of his children to be merciful. It's what you do. If you've been forgiven a lot, you should be ready to forgive a lot of people. And it's in the context of Peter asking Jesus, hey, what are the limits of mercy? How many times should I forgive other people? What's the limit for that? And Jesus said, really, it's unlimited. You're to be so marked by mercy if you're my child. This is Matthew 18. Listen to this. This is verse 21 and following. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times. Times seven, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him that debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Jesus told that extended parable to say, this is what people are to be like in my kingdom. The kingdoms compared to a merciful king who expects his subjects to be merciful to one another. That's how important this is. So let's just apply this a second. Blessed are the merciful, we have compassion for others, that ought to show up in the church, right? So this should be a mark of a healthy church. That, that people would look at Staples Mill and they would say, that that is a fellowship marked by grace and mercy. And it's a bit of a delicate assignment we have, don't we? Because we have the Bible and we're to call each other's other up to the righteous standards of God, but we have to do that in a way where we avoid a condemning spirit. So here's the standard, here's what we're all aspiring to through the power of the Holy Spirit, but we're gonna do that without being hypercritical and demeaning and degrading to other people, condemning them within the body of Christ. So that means this, Lord, Lord uh, we want to call each other up. We're gonna live up, but when somebody falls, we rally with mercy. Hey brother, hey sister, let's get up. This is the way we're going, come on. We've all made mistakes, we're not condemning you, but let's get up, let's repent, because we're going this way together. We're merciful to each other. We're quick to forgive in the life of the church. We must be merciful. Something is desperately wrong in our hearts if we're grudge holders. Somebody offends us and we're like, I I will not forgive you, I will not do that when we've been forgiven so much. so In the church, we should see this mercy. In your family, this mercy should be on display if you are a child of God. So would your spouse describe you as merciful? Would your children describe you as merciful? Of course, you have to be a disciplinarian. You have to lead. But would they also say, with that leadership and with that clear direction, with that discipline on occasion, I've also found them to be merciful. And in the community, we should be known for mercy. Have you thought about it? Even evangelism really is an expression of mercy. So so we could be, in a day like ours, we could be always angry at the culture, just angry. And there's a lot to be angry about, a lot to be appalled about in our culture. But evangelism is this, it's the reminder that, you know, I used to be lost like them. I was once blind and foolish and chasing all the wrong things. And so in mercy, we take the remedy, we take the gospel of Jesus Christ into a culture that's hostile because of mercy. We've received much forgiveness, now we take the gospel out and that's what personal evangelism is. That's what missions is. Isn't that a great expression of mercy? We go into countries and oftentimes hostile countries, countries that don't even allow missionaries, and yet we must go. Uh, I've received much mercy. I'm so glad the gospel reached me. I'm going to go to that place where they still haven't heard or people groups that haven't heard. That's a great expression of mercy. In fact, missionaries have a strange task. They get there and they're in an ungodly culture and they're treated poorly at times. That'll, That'll play with your mind. Some of you have served overseas and you go and your heart's full of mercy and love and you want to share the gospel and the taxi drivers there are always trying to cheat you because you're a foreigner. And when you go shopping the bazaars to get your food, they're trying to cheat you. And you think, that's not fair. I came here out of mercy. I love you and you don't love me back. I don't even want to be here. You're so unkind. But then you remember, oh, this is is how lost people act. And I've come with mercy. I've come with a gospel. I brought good news. And that's just part of the cost. In fact, this mercy shows up even in our ministries here in, in America. So we, we love to support ministries like Send Relief, sendrelief.org, that's a new name for Baptist Global Response. We love that partnership that does a lot with disaster relief and meet human needs here in North America and even around the world. We love having partners like, it's an expression of the compassion that the Lord has worked in our hearts. That's why we've historically been a part of homeless ministries, our English club to help immigrants learn English, and on and on helping out schools with with the need for school supplies for underprivileged children. Uh, this is a mark of compassion that the Lord has worked in our hearts. So listen, just as it's a danger sign if you look at your heart and there's no passion for God, if you also look at your heart and there's not mercy in you toward others, that's also a danger sign. You want to address that today. There's a third mark that Jesus describes here today of a heart of one who's his, one who's living the blessed life. And it's this, it's a life of purity. So passion for God, compassion toward others, and a life of purity. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So notice here, Jesus, once again, did not lower the standard. Those in his kingdom should be marked by a purity of heart. This is the good life. This is the blessed life. This is the happy life. Jesus would say, it's a life of purity. Now, that's not what we've been told our whole lives. That's not the mood of the culture. That's not the mood of the commercials. So we're told the good life, the happy life is really in cutting loose and being wild. We've been told and lied to our whole lives that the party life, that's the fun life. That to be good is to be bored. That's what we've been told. It's not, it's not true. To be good is to be straight laced, long faced. That's not fun. Come on, cut loose. People even joke with each other. Hey, be good, but not too good. Have some fun while you're out there. It's, it's a wrong message. We've been told something not true. Listen, anybody who's done any type of counseling with somebody, a Christian counselor, biblical counselor, you'll find that that sin that promised happiness brings devastating pain. In fact, your job as a Christian counselor trying to help somebody, they've been hurt by their own sin or somebody else's sin, but oftentimes as a person who's hurt themselves by chasing sin, and it's really like a fish that got hooked on a lure. This looked like it was gonna promise me happiness, but it didn't. There's terrible pain. I'm in bondage now. And so a a brother or sister or a Christian counselor is gonna, let me get that lure out of your cheek. Let's help restore you. Mercy, once again, let's get you back where you want to be, set free from this thing. Listen, all that sin that promises happiness brings about pain and bondage. It's holiness that brings true happiness. I love what John MacArthur said. He said, happy are the holy. That's how he paraphrased blessed are the pure in heart, happy are the holy. So we deny ourselves the cheap, temporary, sinful pleasures in order that we might partake of greater delights in the Lord himself. The purer our lives, the less shame, the less guilt, the less regret, the less bondage, the less emptiness we reap for ourselves. So blessed are the pure in heart. And of course, this is not a call for legalism, or rituals, neither is this a call for external cleanliness like the Pharisees. That's not what he says here, but he says here, blessed are the pure in heart. Not blessed are the religious and the busy, but blessed are the pure in heart. And that word in the Greek language is cardia for heart. You hear the word cardiac, and that's where that word in our language has come from. It's the seed of our personality. It primarily deals with our thinking processes. Here's how Joseph Stoll described it. He said, heart is used in scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It's the part of our being where we desire, deliberate and decide. It has been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. The comprehensive term for a person as a whole, his feelings, his desires, passions, thought, understanding and will. It's the center of a person. So let me ask, are you pure in heart? Are your passions pure? Are your thoughts pure? Here's a question. Have you come to Jesus to be made clean? He's the one who can do this for us. All of us have needed to turn to Jesus for cleansing from our many, many sins. But here's a question. Having come to Jesus for cleansing, are you walking in the power of the spirit in that purity, in your mind, in your purpose, in your affections. This this should lead us to pray even right now. Lord, purify my life, purify my actions, but don't stop there with just my actions. Lord, purify my thoughts, purify my intentions, even my very motives, purify them. Not just the outside of me, Lord, purify me on the inside at the heart level. Psalm 24, verses three and four. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, hear this, and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. And here's the promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. If you're one who has turned from your sins and you ran to Jesus, confessing your sin, asking him to forgive you and save you, you will see God. God. As we said earlier, he's gone to prepare a place for you. You'll be with God forever. But listen, this is also true in the here and now. The pure in heart, they see God now. They enjoy God's presence now, every day in the presence of God. Listen, it's when we're staying in our stubborn sin, when we're clouded from seeing God. Our view of God's distorted, when we're not turning away from sin in our lives. He's shrouded from us. We miss out on intimacy with him. This is why Paul exhorted Timothy this way. He said in 2 Timothy 2.22, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who called on the Lord from a pure heart. Adrian Rogers once said it this way, God doesn't have favorites. But he does have intimates. His point's this. Listen, he's, he's offering for anybody to come be close to him. Get, draw near to him. He'll draw near to you. Don't you sin over God. I want to run to God. I want to thirst for him. I want to hunger for him. I want him to purify me. And I want to walk in purity as he enables me by the power of his spirit. So Christian, are you struggling with your joy in your life? Oh, return to the Beatitudes. Walk through these. Not just not just on Sundays, but walk through these this week. Lord, how am I doing in this? Do I understand my poverty of spirit? Have I mourned over my sin? Am I, have I submitted myself to you in gentleness? Lord, do I have passion for you? Stir up my passion as I meet with you. Do I have appropriate compassion for others, Lord? Make me compassionate like you've been compassionate toward me. Lord, make me pure in heart in this, in this dirty, sinful world. With all my temptations and all my brokenness, Lord. By your power, would you lead me in ongoing purity in my life? And then a final word. Maybe you're here in... You've not yet even said that you're a Christian, but you're thinking about it. You're thinking about moving toward Christ, trusting him. Listen, let me, let me put this before you as well. This is the path to joy that you've been missing. You can keep chasing the online orders and everything else. It won't satisfy. God has brought you here today that you would trust in Jesus. Declare him as your Lord and your Savior today. Let me pray for us.